Good morning. Uh, this week's scripture reading is going to begin with John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate to the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Uh, then we will be going to First Peter chapter 2, verses 19 to 25. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if he receives a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. Good morning. That's kind of what I want to talk about today. Um, voices. I'm going to um, read you some quotes. And hopefully, you can tell me who said them. Okay? So, if you know who it is, what should you do? No, not raise your hand. You're going to baa like a sheep because we're talking about the Good Shepherd today. So you're going to ba, and then you'll say the answer, okay? 
Got it? Got it. All right, the first one is, uh, what's up, Doc? Bugs Bunny, absolutely. He's a familiar one. Everybody knows Bugs Bunny. Bugs Bunny, good job. All right, the next one. Me want cookie. Cookie Monster. <laughs> How about this one? To infinity and beyond. <laughs> Buzz Lightyear. You forgot to bah first, though. You have to say bah first. All right. They might get a little harder now. Just keep swimming. Just keep swimming. Dory. <laughs> All right. This one's a little tough. Some people are worth melting for. Olaf. <laughs> Guess who's watched Frozen a hundred times? <laughs> now, if I had said, let it go, Elsa, right? Yeah. All right. Now, this one's one of my favorites. In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Mary Poppins. This is the first movie I saw when I was a little kid in a movie theater. All right. So you all are pretty familiar with all of these. You, you all know them, right? Is there any that you didn't know? I, the Olaf one was kind of tough, right? Just maybe she's the only one that has someone young enough to be watching Frozen 100 times to know it. Because that was an obscure one. As I said, if I had said let it go, you all would have known that one, right? But my point is we've spent so much time over the years growing up with these movies, with these characters that we can recognize their lines instantly, right? All right, I have another one for you. Love each other as I have loved you. Jesus, right. Jesus is the good shepherd. And our scriptures this morning talked about hearing and listening to his voice. And I think that sometimes we say, yeah, okay, I'm going to listen, I hear you. But... How much time do we spend really listening to Jesus? We talk a lot. Lord, I need this. Help me here. Give me that. Pray for that person over there. But how much time do we actually spend listening? How much time do you spend listening to Jesus? Hmm? You love everybody, and Jesus loves everybody, too. But we don't always listen like we should. And sometimes we get led the wrong way. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. So my point is, in order to know what Jesus is telling us to do, we need to listen. What do you mean? No, you're not going to talk right now. You already had your chance. So, as sheep, we are his sheep. And we need to be listening. Oftentimes, things come our way, and we're not sure if it's Jesus talking or if it's our own desire or our own conscience or somebody else saying they want or need. And it's hard sometimes to tell if it's really Jesus' voice or not. But the one way to be sure is if we spend a lot more time 
in our Bibles, on our knees, listening and talking with him, and less time watching movies. <laughs> Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for Jesus, that he loves us, that he calls us by name, that he calls us to be his sheep, and that he loves us no matter what. So help us hear his voice <laughs> and help us to follow. Help us to follow what he wants us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Yes, you can bring the food. Lord Jesus, we come before you today to learn more about you, to become more like you. Um, I pray that you will. Help our minds and our hearts and our ears to be clear. Help me to speak clearly by your spirit. In your name, amen. We have actually been talking kind of a lot about God or specifically Jesus, the Son of God, as a shepherd over the past semi-months, but even years. Um, we talked about it a little bit during Lent when we talked about King David. We talked about it during Advent. And we've also talked about it a few times in years before that. So at first I was kind of like, is there anything new we can say here? <laughs> um, God is our shepherd. He's a good shepherd. Great. Um, so let's talk about shepherd. What, are, what words or stories come to mind if you're sitting in church and you hear the word shepherd? 90 and 9, right? David, the passage that we read this morning um, from John 10. There's a lot of shepherd imagery in the Bible. We also read Psalm 23. That's super famous. Um, so, but those, all of those pictures, we kind of think about God as our good shepherd. He's going to, what is a shepherd's job to do? Yeah, we're... <laughs> We're sort of going to go there, but we're not going to directly go there. <laughs> to guide the sheep. Yep. Keep them safe. Yeah, protect them. Feed them. Yeah, or eat them. Okay. Wow, you guys. All right, so, so I guess it's not going to be such a stretch today. <laughs> Um, to go where I thought we, where it seems like we're going to go. Um, I was sort of surprised, I'm still sort of surprised, I guess. I was sort of surprised when I read these passages and I really sat down and thought about them to notice a common thread. The, sh the shepherd term is a common thread, but I had to really wrestle with the good shepherd part this week because of the first Peter passage. So I'm going to, I don't always remember to invite you to do this, but this is a good idea for you to do every time uh, we get to this part of the service, to look up just the first Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 25 passage. It's on page 858 of your pew Bible, if you want to use those. Because um, we're going we're gonna to mostly stay here. Um, we're familiar with Psalm 23, we're familiar-ish with John 10, and fortunately, Barb um, 
spent some good time in that in her children's message this morning and talked about what I would have talked about if we were focusing on that. Um, what is the basic message in this first Peter passage? Okay, that's really well said. Thank you, Ron. Jesus accepted pain for us. And so when we accept pain for him, that's a good thing. Does that feel like a good thing? No, it does not. Also, like most of us, I'm assuming, I definitely don't, don't like pain. We don't like suffering. We don't want to have to do it. I think part of why um, COVID was so badly handled across the board is because we don't know what to do when bad stuff happens. Our culture doesn't, our society doesn't. We have lost our ability to suffer well. And let me say something here. Last week we talked a little bit about being foreigners in our culture. This idea of being able to suffer well, like this, in a sense that you don't have to retaliate, you don't have to get even, you don't have to um, defend yourself, is a specifically Christian value. There are other societies where you might, you might suffer well by suffering nobly. You can have a noble death or something like that. But this idea of not, of just taking it, comes from Jesus. And so, when you start to lose um, the basic mindset of Christ in any culture, anywhere, and maybe no big culture has the mindset of Christ within itself, but when you start to lose those values that come from the life of Jesus himself, you start to lose the ability to suffer well, to consider others' interests before your own, to be humble, all of those things that we kind of take for granted as these are good things, they're hard to do, but they're good, um, we, we lose that, and they stop being values in the culture. So, we don't know how to suffer well, and so even, if, I mean, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to guess that the early Christians, who, some of whom knew Jesus in person, still didn't enjoy suffering, but they did it a whole lot better than most of us in our culture. Sometimes we Christians here in the United States think that we're being persecuted. And it's true that a lot of our ideas aren't very popular, but if we were really being persecuted, we're doing a terrible job responding the way Peter describes in this passage, by and large. If we are going to live as foreigners, like we talked about, and if we're going to think and communicate the good news effectively, like Kathleen talked about a few weeks ago, we have to hear what our message sounds like to the broader culture. And it's not so that we can figure out ways to water down our message or so we can like bait and switch people. That's not what we want to do. We want to be truthful. We want to be true. Uh, to the message of Jesus Christ, and some of that message is uncomfortable, but we need to be aware of how it sounds to people on the outside, and sometimes even on the inside, so that we can communicate some
sometimes hard truths with awareness and compassion. So we can say, you know what, this might be hard to hear. And these are some reasons why it might be hard to hear, and I'm going to be compassionate to this person as we talk about it. But, so, I'm, I read this passage in, in 1 Peter 2, and I thought, oof, this, this, is, not, this is not a good soundbite for our current generation. But here's the thing. It's actually even worse, because the Revised Common Lectionary leaves out the first sentence in the paragraph, the beginning of the idea. Verse 18 says, Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. It was really nice of the people who put together the Revised Common Lectionary to think, to give the pastor a break and not make us have to talk about this verse. But, you know, we don't leave out the hard ones, right? <laughs> we, we, they're in here. We should look at them. Because I have black friends who are Christians who, on the basis of passages like this, no lo- they believe in Jesus, they love Jesus, they know Jesus, but they no longer take the Bible as the uniquely inspired word of God because this passage has been used historically by white slaveholders who called themselves Christians to say, see, look, I can treat you however I want. You have to put up with it. We can't just write this off. We don't have the types of slavery that were being promulgated during the, before the Civil War in the plantations, but we can't just say, well, but we're all better now, because clearly we're not all better now. This is still an issue in our society. The historical fallout from that misinterpretation of this passage is still in play right now. And it is making a big difference in our, the people around us, but also inside churches. And it's important for us to know this and to consider it, even if it doesn't directly affect anybody sitting in this building right this second, because, like we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks, we need to be aware so we can communicate good news. If this, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is really good news, and it's contained in this Bible, and we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, then we need to be aware of all this stuff so that we can bring it before the Lord and wrestle with it and try to communicate it in a way that's loving, that acknowledges that other people have had a different experience of these texts than we have. So, the other thing is, though, that this can also apply to us. Peter is essentially talking about abuse. Human against human abuse. So, 
we may have experienced, even if we have not been slaves ourselves, we may have experienced abuse in various situations. Abusive bosses, abusive pastors, abusive spouses, even sometimes abusive children. I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, sometimes we squabble. I'm talking about abuse. I'm talking about violence, physical violence, or emotional violence, or saying one thing and doing another and making people feel like they're crazy, that's abuse. And that happens all over the place. So here's a question. Does God want us to passively take abuse? Is that what this passage says? Okay, well, really? What does it say instead? It kind of sounds like that's what it says, right? Okay. If we are still, Ron says some situations, if we are still celebrating the good news that the resurrection brings us, once again, this passage taken by itself in face, at face value does not sound like good news. If we are going to try to communicate the good news to the culture around us, which is so, the awareness of abuse is still not being dealt with very well, but it's so heightened, this is not the way to do it. Like, don't use this as your first Bible passage. <laughs> Helpful hint. Um, and so as I'm wrestling with this, I'm thinking, is this the kind of, what does this say about God as our good shepherd? Because this passage doesn't really talk about shepherding until the very last verse of it. Um, is this the kind of good shepherd God is? Is God also abusive? Is this some attempt at, maybe you don't know what this term is, but at gaslighting? And then I looked at the other passages for today, and they suddenly seemed much darker. Psalm 23 talks about the valley of the shadow of death and being present to, my, like, I'm eating a meal and there's my enemies all around. Um, John 10 says that the sheep know the shepherd's voice, but there are still these other voices. There are thieves and robbers that are coming in to try to get the sheep, and they can climb over the wall, apparently. Is there a way to see this as good news at all? Okay, so Ron said again that this is about some circumstances where we are supposed to just take it. I think that's true, and I think there's a distinct way to discern the difference. Before we talk about how to handle abuse from people who are not Jesus followers, let's talk a little bit about in-house stuff. Well, first let's talk about slave culture in Peter's day. So Peter is using this example. Peter's talking about abuse, but he is using a specific example in his culture, slave culture. I was reading something by N.T. Wright this week, and he was talking about it. He wasn't trying to justify slave culture. In fact, the opposite. But he was making the point that in a society, in a civilization that's now urban, and they're trying to accomplish things, and they don't have smartphones and computers and appliances, electric appliances or even the use of electricity or all of those things, you have to use people to, if you're going to make things more efficient. You can't just do all the things yourself. 
actually have to use people. And so from very, very ancient times, people have had slaves. They have not um, honored people's ability to do certain things for each other. They have tried to take over properties, and when they take over a nation, they bring people back and they make them slaves. It's part of subjugating, it's part of power, it's a, it's a power play, basically. Some form of slavery has always existed. That doesn't mean it's good, but it's true. Having a, some kind of system where some people served other people was unavoidable for getting things done, and having a world where people don't get along with each other, that made it inevitable that the people who are getting things done for the other people are going to be the ones that are treated badly. God never, ever intended for humans to own other humans. Ever. And Peter knows this. God never wanted humans to belong to anybody but himself. There were slaveholders in the early church, but when you read the letters in the New Testament carefully, you can see that even when that is acknowledged as a reality, the underlying pressure to those slaveholders is, at minimum, you now treat your slaves as family members. They are equal family members because you are now family members in the family of God, and so are they. If they follow Jesus, you're family. You're not actually above them. But better, set them free. And there's a very short, but an entire, book in the New Testament called Philemon, which is a story about an escaped slave and Paul writing to his master, his Christian master, and encouraging him to set him free. So Peter is not giving people, especially people who bear the name of Jesus, a justification for abusing other people. The fact that Christians have done this through the centuries is one of the most horrific parts of Christian history. There, Christians having slaves is completely antithetical to what Jesus came to do. The, the Apostle Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, and it's, he's not talking just about spiritual freedom. He's talking about entire freedom. If Jesus said the good news is to bring good to... I came to bring good news to the oppressed and release to the captive, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So, Peter is saying, is not saying, if your Christian masters are abusing you, you just got to suck it up anyway. He's acknowledging that there is this part of our culture that has slaves. The cultural values outside the kingdom of God, the values that we called empire values a couple of years ago when we were going through the Gospel of Matthew, they are power and control over other people. 
and the rest of creation, if you can manage it, but at least over other people. Peter is describing one of the worst forms of worldly dehumanizing to illustrate that there is a new kingdom culture way that we should respond to people's abuse of us, and he is assuming that those people are not people in the family of God, because if you're in the family of God, you should all be treating each other as equal family members. That is already assumed. He's talking about non-Jesus following people in authority over us, including the government, which he's talked about a couple of verses before this. It is not the, the kingdom way to respond to external abuse is not second nature to anybody. When we are born again, we start to shift our perspectives and our attitudes so that we have the mind of Christ, but it doesn't happen right away, and so we don't all of a sudden automatically be like, okay, this person's beating me up, and I'll just take it. That's not second nature, and so Peter is trying to spell that out. And what he says is there's two things that you need to keep in mind if somebody is treating you really, really badly outside of the church. First of all, make sure you don't deserve it. If this person is an abuser, they will try to convince you that you deserve it. That is what abusers do. So, you need to be sure in yourself who you are, which is a person made in the image of God, forgiven of your sins and bought by the blood of Jesus, delivered into freedom, even though your circumstances have you enslaved in some way. You are a free person. And whose we are? We are the good shepherds, nobody else's. So make sure you don't deserve it. If you know who you are and whose you are, you will know if you're being punished because you did something that wasn't Christ-like or if you're really being abused. And usually, yeah, you'll know. The second thing to do when someone is mistreating you, especially for your Christian faith, is make sure you stay close to the Good Shepherd. He led the way through suffering. He showed us how to get through suffering by trusting God his Father to judge fairly. He's the one who will remind us who we are and whose we are. Back up in verse 16, Peter writes, Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. That sounds weird to us. Because in the human, because we understand humans were not supposed to own other humans ever, ever, ever. Um, but God is so much over us, and He is our true authority. He has always been our true authority. And so Peter's using a very extreme term here to show the differential between us and God. But we are gods, and so we can live as free people. Living as God's slaves is true freedom because he is good. He loves us. He showed us himself 
how to get through suffering because he submitted to suffering himself. He became a servant and a slave to us. As God's slaves, we are free people in Christ. And if we know that, sometimes that knowledge alone can be enough to change how we respond to mistreatment. And we even have Jesus leading us in that. Jesus knew who he was, and that was how he was able to make himself a servant to us and to follow all the way through the suffering of the cross, even though, as we know, he didn't really want to suffer like that. In John 13, verses 3 to 4, John writes, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. He knew that all power was his. And he knew where he came from, and he knew where he was going. And so he dressed up like a servant and washed his disciples' feet. And then he went to the cross because he knew who he was. And he was trusting the Father to vindicate him. When we know, because of our relationship with Jesus, when we know who we are, it frees us from the need to defend ourselves or assert ourselves. And we can suffer well for the name of Christ because we don't deserve it and we know we don't deserve it. And so it has actually nothing to do with us. It hurts us, but it can't, as Jesus says in another place, don't fear the one who can hurt your body, but the one who can send your soul to hell. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be eternally afraid of the persecution that we might face for the name of Christ. But here's something else that we need to remember. Peter is assuming the persecutors he's talking about who are actual people that the people he's writing to know and are experiencing persecution from, he's assuming the persecutors are not Christians. No follower of Jesus Christ would treat another person this way. Abuse is something that humans invented. It's not God. So, if we are living as foreigners in the world, in the empire, not only will we respond to suffering, unjust suffering, differently than we used to, but we will also not tolerate abuse among God's people. Peter is not describing how we are to handle abuse in Christian marriages or in Bible-preaching churches as much as he is describing how to respond if, say, our government says, okay, Christians, you can no longer worship in public. That's a different, those are two totally different things. The way that we handle those things is different. Tolerating or even supporting so-called Christian abuse, and those two words should not go together, is something that when we discover it, needs to be dealt with quickly and decisively because we are free people and we belong to God. And as God's sheep, as God's image-bearing people, we cannot tolerate someone else from within our own flock 
treating someone else with bearing God's image that badly. We need to advocate for each other and for each other's freedom. A friend of mine on Twitter who's a pastor named Keith Gooseby said that the difference, the, the thing we need to keep in mind with this passage is we need to hold it in tension with some of the other passages. It, Peter here is saying, submit to God in your circumstance. No matter what your circumstance is, submit to God. Paul calls Philemon and other people in his letters to cancel debt and to free people. Both of, those, both of these men were followers of God. They were both inspired by the Holy Spirit to write their letters to the specific churches that they wrote them. And their two messages are not contradicting each other, but they go together. And this is how our good shepherd is good. We can submit to him no matter whether we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death or not, because he is with us. And we can help promote the healing and the freedom of the people in our flock. Our shepherd is good because he does not abuse us. He shows us how we can belong to him and each other without abuse. He suffered like we do, and he showed us how to submit to God, our trustworthy God, in whatever situation we find ourselves in. And so, therefore, our good shepherd is our trustworthy companion. Jesus modeled trust in God his Father. To this you were called, Peter says, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. I used to say, when I tried to evangelize people, Jesus suffered so that we don't have to, but that is not actually true, and it is not biblical. Jesus suffered because we are going to. As we continue to walk, to follow his footsteps, to step in his footsteps through this broken, wounded, and wounding world. But even though and even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we do not need to fear any evil because he, our good shepherd, is with us. We can trust ourselves and our circumstances to our good shepherd who went as far as it is possible to go, farther than anybody imagines, to find us lost sheep, to free us from our spiritual oppression, and to walk with us through whatever oppression remains in this life. Sometimes he'll show himself and his trustworthiness through others of his people who fight for our freedom on his behalf and on our behalf. Jesus has a voice we can recognize. Like Barb said, it takes time. It takes time praying and listening and reading the Bible, reading scripture to kind of learn what he sounds like. What does he say? What are, what are his catchphrases? I like her analogy. Um, because he has those. 
but we can learn to hear his voice and recognize it. The closer we follow him, the longer we follow him, the more we allow him to companion us, the better we'll be able to hear his voice and know that it's his and receive his strength to act like him no matter what our circumstances and whether we're being persecuted or people around us are being persecuted or not. God is our good shepherd. I'm going to read those last verses of this passage in a different Bible translation that uses simpler words. It's the uh, contemporary English version. If you're curious, you can look it up later. But let's close on this, and this will be our closing prayer. Christ did not sin or ever tell a lie. Although he was abused, he never tried to get even. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he had faith in God who judges fairly. Christ carried the burden of our sins. He was nailed to the cross so that we would stop sinning and start living right. By his cuts and bruises, you are healed. You had wandered away like lost sheep. Now you have returned to the one who is your shepherd and protector. Amen.